Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I kid sometimes about my household and about how my household runs awry, especially if you think about having four kids in the house and trying to bring everything together. I kid about that. It's really not that bad, but there are moments. You know what I'm talking about? Even in your household, maybe you have one, two, three, or four. You recognize that sometimes the household can seem to be in disarray. And and it's as though you want to speak into the house and say, Hey, it's time to get yourself in order. It's time to put some things together. Well, you know, in the church's life, there are those moments as well. And when you look at Paul's letter here to the Corinthians, he comes to this moment of looking at this church and saying to them that there's this time for you to get yourself together. Even in the way you worship, even in that worship service itself, there is a place for order. Now, may I admit to you in the very beginning today that this is one of the most difficult passages I've ever studied in my life. It's probably a good thing that it is raining outside and there are people that are not here. (laughs) I recognized that as I came today, this was a year to the date since I preached my trial sermon, or came in view of a call, as some of you would say. When I get through with this today, you'll wonder why you voted yes, probably, on my coming. It is a difficult passage. And yet, I think it is so practical, and I think it informs our worship service even today. I want you to see the way Paul speaks to the church at Corinth, and he speaks to them about their worship service and the need for structure and order, the need to give attention to that which will edify the body and those who are in attendance. Notice he says in verse 26 of chapter 14, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. I want to stop there and I want you to see how Paul calls for their worship services somehow to demonstrate this edification, this building up. As a matter of fact, I want to give you an outline this morning that was given by Daryl Robinson some many years ago when he talked about the purpose of the local church. He wasn't talking specifically about this passage, but he was talking about the role of the church in general, the purpose that we should have. He gave three different purposes for the church's existence. He said that the church exists to equip the saint, to evangelize the sinner, and to exalt the Savior. To equip the saint, to evangelize the sinner, and to exalt the Savior. And as I was reading through this passage, I could see how that purpose, how Daryl Robinson's words were so true of what Paul said, especially as you look In the beginning verse here that we read, verse 26, let all things be done for edification. That is that when you are in a worship service, he says, somehow what 
you are doing and the things that are being accomplished should build up the body of Christ in particular. It's the idea of equipping the saint. That everything that you do, as you think about it, as you plan, that somehow it should build the body of Christ. You know, I love coming here on Sunday mornings, love Sunday nights, and I love Wednesday nights. I love coming partly just to see and fellowship with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I do like that. I just enjoy that. Now, I see some of you during the week, some of you uh, out uh, in the community. A few of you will speak to me when I see you. I appreciate that. I love being able to maybe break bread with you. I love to sit on a tree stand with some of you. I love the fellowship that I have with my fellow brothers and sisters. I love being able to see one another on Sunday morning. But we are not here simply to see one another. We are here to experience the presence of Christ in such a way as we hear his word, as we worship him, that we are built up as a body of Christ, that we are equipped to go out into this world and do what we are called to do as we take his gospel. And here he says that everything that's done within the local church, it has to be done in that service for the edification of the body, the equipping of the saints. Now, if that is to be done, everything within the church or everything within that worship service needs to be intelligible. That, that means that you can make sense of it. It is intelligible. Let me go back to verse 6 of this chapter. It says there, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Get what he's saying here in the whole passage. He's dealing with them about their spiritual gifts and how they demonstrate those within the local church context. And specifically, as you read through these passages, you'll see that he'll deal with this gift of tongues. Now, let me say this as carefully as I can so that I might be here another year with you. When I look at this early passage and I see Paul talking about the gift of tongues, I recognize that for the early church, the gift of tongues was a symbol. It was a, it was a symbol of God's presence and what God was doing in that early church. Now, some believe that they have totally ceased and there's no opportunity. There's no way that a tongue could be spoken today in this kind of way. And I will tell you personally, I've never seen it biblically, never seen it biblically expressed. While it may be possible because 
in chapter 13, it says that these things will pass away when the perfect has come. Now, my brothers, such as John MacArthur, says that those gifts have ceased because the perfect being the canon, the scripture has come together and there's no need for those things anymore. I told you last week that I'm not quite comfortable with that kind of interpretation of chapter 13, verse 10, because there it seems that it's speaking about the coming of Christ. Although I can say again, experientially speaking, experientially speaking, I have never seen this demonstrated or practiced biblically in any church today. But don't lose the point of what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that whatever is done, and he uses the gift of tongues, and he says whatever is done should be intelligible for the local body of Christ. In other words, it needs to make sense. He says to those in Corinth, and many of them prided themselves that they could speak in such tongues and such like, and they prided themselves upon it. Read, the, read 1 Corinthians. You'll see that they were puffed up about it. They were so proud of themselves. And what Paul says is, why would you want to do that within a worship context if nobody knows what you're saying? He says, if you're playing musical instruments, you can't tell the tune just because you hear the sound. There's got to be a melody. There's got to be a rhythm, right? You don't know to attack if the trumpet sounds. If you just hear a flat note, it's got to be a certain significance that is behind that trumpet when it blows. And what he says here is that within a church context, whatever is spoken, whatever is done should be plain. It should be intelligible. I love what he says. He says, verse 9, How will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Now, parents, I know there are many days you think you just speak into the air when you speak to your children. But what he says here is if nobody understands within the local church, if they don't understand within that congregation, you are not accomplishing anything for the edification of the church. Now remember, you and I are brought together in a context of worship here, corporate worship. And while I believe that God touches me individually and personally through a time of corporate worship, this moment is not just for me. Did you get that? This worship service is not just for you. It is for the benefit of the congregation of the family of God here as we come as his people. So you could get up and you could do your thing. But if somehow there is not some type of intelligible communication behind it, you have accomplished nothing for the kingdom of God. He says, let everything be done for the edification of the church. We should speak in such ways. We could, should communicate in such ways that they are building up the congregation of Jesus Christ. Well, may I say this to you as well. I want to take it one step farther. I think we also need to make sure that we are plain in the way we communicate in our sermons, in our teaching, 
in our music, in our worship, that we should be plain, we should be intelligible in those things as well. Sometimes, unintentionally, we find ourselves, I think, so caught up in our studies that we forget that we are to put the plain meaning of the text and the plain meaning of Jesus Christ to the people. One pastor once said that we need to be reminded that God didn't call us to feed the giraffes. He called us to feed the sheep. And we ought to put the message of Christ down so that even the sheep can graze in the way we speak, in the way we teach. I'm not saying that we should dumb down the great treasuries of God's Word. I'm not saying that we shouldn't recognize the greatness and the grandeur of God's message. What I'm saying to you is that when we come to worship, though, it should not just be about things that we think it should not be about things that we cannot communicate but rather it should be things that we can plainly set before God's people and teach and share what God has done what would it how would it impact us as a church if we were to come here this morning and not understand anything that was being said how would that benefit us or grow us how would that equip the saint So what Paul says to this local church is that if you're going to equip the saint, if you're going to edify the body of Christ, you've got to do it in intelligible ways. You've got to communicate appropriately. Notice he also says that you have to do it intentionally. Let's run back to verse 27 for a moment. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue... Let there be two or at the most three each in turn and let one interpret. By the way, modern day practices of the tongues, how many times have you seen something like this where somebody would speak and somebody would interpret? Most of the time today, that is not the case that you see in other churches. And yet Paul plainly says here, does he not? That if that were to be done... He said that there would have to be one who interprets. He says in verse 28, very clearly, if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For for you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. But, But notice he says the emphasis is upon order and one speaking and another speaking, that you're intentional in bringing order to your worship. Now, I understand the risk of some of us talking about intentionality and order in our worship services and the risk that we get so caught up in the structure that we miss the presence of Christ. I understand that. There are many of us that need to recognize the life and the spontaneity that we have in Christ Jesus. Many of us need to do that. Would you agree? Would you agree that we could become so formal that we miss the power and the presence of Christ? I think so. You may not agree with me, but I think so. 
But a worship service should not degenerate into such spontaneity that nobody knows what's going on and nobody understands anything that's being said. Can you imagine if all of us were trying to talk or teach at the same moment this morning? I mean, you walk in here about two minutes before nine. That's when we usually start, right? Two minutes, and there are people talking all across the congregation. Could you imagine that we continued our whole service in that way? Do you know again how many comments I would receive on the communication card for that type of environment? And rightly so. Because you cannot understand. The, the body itself can't be built up when everybody's trying to talk. When everybody, It's not going to happen, Paul says. Paul says you need to make sure that you're taking turns and you're listening and you're intentional. There is some order about your worship services. He says you must have order. I think it was last week I stood and gave a testimony of noise. Do you remember that? I'm going to have to give it again or re-preach that message. I spoke about noise. You know about how noise can be so frustrating. Just noise. It, there's no purpose, it seems, behind noise. At the very least, you can't really understand noise and what Paul says is that we can come together and there can be some great noise made but if there's not some order and some intentionality behind it there's not some type of bringing it together so that one speaks and then another speaks so that it is intelligible for the people to hear then you failed in your purpose as a congregation and as a people. Because when we come to this place, what we should experience as the word is taught, as the music leads us in worship, what we should experience is something that builds us up and encourages us as a people of God as we go out into this world. He says here that we are certainly to edify one another in our worship services, equipping the saints, but he also here is concerned about the evangelization of the sinner, evangelizing the sinner. You got to move back up to verse 23, but notice what he says here. In verse 23, he says, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Paul is rather frank here, isn't he? He says, If an unbeliever were to come into that type of worship context and they were to see all the things that were going on, he said, would they, not, would they not think 
that you were all just out of your mind because they did not understand it. Well, Dr. Reggie, it doesn't matter. Why are we worried about what unbelievers would think? Unbelievers need to know the grace and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand that in our lives. We may have our salvation, but there are others that do not. And when they come in, they should sense the goodness and the greatness of God in such a way that they will be convinced and they will be convicted. I think it's okay to think about how the worship service looks and as it is communicated from unbelievers. Notice that even in the New Testament, some house groups coming together, even then they were not closed to the outside community. There were unbelievers who were there in their presence, perhaps unbelieving spouses, perhaps unbelieving children. There were unbelievers who were there, and Paul was concerned about them that they would understand and that they would hear the gospel of Christ. We need to be reminded in our worship services that we are coming together, yes, so that the saints would be equipped, so we would be edified, but also what we would hope and what we would pray is that we would evangelize the unbelievers. I heard it put this way one time uh, by a deacon of all people. Deacons can come up with some significant thoughts every now and then, right? I'm just kidding. Y'all get so serious. I just got some looks from some of our deacons. I'm just kidding with A deacon was talking to his grandmother. And his uh, grandmother was complaining that the church had made some changes because they were trying to communicate to unbelievers and trying to win them to Christ. This deacon, who again was her grandson, the only one that could look at her and speak to her in such a way, said, Grandma... Haven't you already got your ticket on this bus? And uh, she looked at him and she said, Well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about this bus to heaven and the kingdom that we have. Don't you already have that ticket? Wasn't. And she said, Well, yeah, I guess if you put it that way, I've got my ticket. And he looked at her and he said, Well, Grandma, you know what? Maybe it's time for you to move to the back of the bus and let somebody else on this bus so that they can experience the kingdom of God as well. I backed up. I wanted her to make sure that I had not motivated him to say that. But you know, there are times when we need to recognize we have been saved by the very grace of God. God has forgiven us, and if anything, we should want unbelievers to know that same grace and that same forgiveness. And as long as it does not violate the truth of Scripture, we should be sensitive to unbelievers who come into the context of worship services. Paul says that if you don't have some order, he says 
that unbelievers will think that you are out of your mind. How could they even understand? Again, back in uh, verse 15, he had said, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. Verse 16, he said, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at the giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. He says, you got to remember that in speaking in an understanding ordered way that people can hear and hopefully i don't know if you got this but it says that maybe they'll even amen you (laughs) paul says how in the world are they going to amen you if they don't know what you really are talking about And, and how are unbelievers ever going to come to salvation if they don't really if they come into this environment of chaos They should be convinced. Verse 24 says, But if all prophesy and prophecy, this spontaneous revelation as God speaks through his word, the prophets of the New Testament were not the same as the prophets of the Old. Rather, the apostles of the New Testament reflect the tradition of the Old. The prophecy of the New Testament is rather a spontaneous word that's given, but it does not carry quite the authority of God's word. You don't believe me? Look at Paul's word later on. He says, like in verse 36, or did the word of God come originally from you or was it only that through you that it was reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet and spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Notice Paul says, the things that I write, the apostolic tradition, it takes precedence over the prophecy that is going on. He said, in other words, everything that's said within the church should be measured by the Word of God. But when you're standing upon the Word of God and when that is spoken, that is what convinces people, unbelievers in particular, and it is what convicts unbelievers. He is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. Verse 25, and thus you got to love this. And thus, the secrets of his heart are revealed. It's as though when that, prophecy, when that word is spoken, spoken, when the word is demonstrated, it's as though that unbeliever looks at his heart and it's as though the secrets that he has carried for all of that time has been revealed and unveiled He knows that God knows. He knows that he knows. And it says, verse 25, in the response, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Is that a beautiful picture? Isn't that really what we pray for unbelievers? You see, all of us have been there, right? those of us who are believers. Wasn't there a moment when the word was spoken in such a way? The word was spoken in such a way that it felt like the preacher or the evangelist or the minister or the deacon. As he delivered that word, it was as though he was speaking directly to you. And it was as though he knew 
everything that was going on in your life. It was as though you stood before God unveiled with nothing to hide. And it was in that moment, brothers, sisters, that you and I fell before God, recognizing our sin and brokenness, and worshiped Him in faith and in truth. That is what we pray for our worship services, that they would evangelize the sinner by bringing individuals to conviction as they are convinced by the Word of God. To equip the saint to evangelize the sinner. And Paul says, I believe, as Darrell Robinson would term it, exalt the Savior. Verse 33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Listen to that. Paul says basically our worship services should reflect the very character and being of God. The reason Paul is calling them to make sure that they are intentional and intelligible, the reason he is hoping that their services will be convincing and convicting is because he hopes in some way that those services will then reflect the very character of God. Because God is not disordered. God is not living in a state of confusion. Rather, God himself is a God who is demonstrating harmony and peace and order. And he says that this is the God we serve. Do you recognize that in the pagan temples of the day... They would use all type of sensational practices in order to elicit the favor of their God. I'm taken back to, to Mount Carmel as Elijah stood there before the Baalist. And yes, I know it occurred hundreds of years before this, but at the same time, it gives us a context of what the pagan practices still were in the New Testament in that they were trying to elicit the favor. You remember that scene as Elijah had challenged the Baalist and the Baalists were calling upon their God to bring down the fire. They would leap and they would jump and they would cut themselves because the more sensational that they were, they felt like the more attention they might gain from their God. And while certain sensational practices still continued in the day of the New Testament, especially there at Corinth. Paul reminded them that we do not have to use sensationalism in order to elicit the favor of God. Family, I don't have to come before you and put on a scene or do anything else in order to elicit the presence of God here with us. The Bible's already said where two or three are gathered there he is also. He's here. His Holy Spirit dwells in us and among us as we worship. 
He is a God of order and peace, bringing peace to a people and to a congregation. We do not have to take the pagan methods, the world's ways, in order to gain his favor. He says, this God is a God of peace. So our services should be peaceful. And they should be powerful. Well, I'm very thankful I have not left much time to address verses 34 and 35. Told John King this week that I might do a little bit of team preaching and let him come and preach those few verses. If I got through tongues, he could deal with the women and how their place there in the church. But verse 34 and 35 quickly just says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. But they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. Let me me just say this. (laughs) Let me see what I wrote out here, please. It does not forbid women from speaking in our church services. But, Dr. Reggie, that's what it said. That's what it said. Consider the whole context. Chapter 11, Paul had even talked about women praying and women speaking. Yeah, chapter 11. You go back, you read it. I don't think I'd ever really noticed it before, but he had. So he wasn't saying here, okay, chapter 11, I told you they could, but now chapter 14, I've decided... That's against my judgment. That's not what Paul did. Look at the whole context of this. And notice that he is particularly speaking about discernment. He says when somebody prophesies and they give a word, you make sure that you test it according to the apostolic tradition. He's talking about discernment. He's talking about the service. And I believe personally as I've studied that if you look at the other temples and the pagans, there were so many, especially... Uh, female prostitutes that the things that were going on in these other pagan temples that he didn't want anything to look like what those temples were about and, and especially discerning and and, and he, he says look women just just submit at this point because you know what the general good is better than individual rights at this point and just 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 submit oh before somebody says to me something about submission let me remind you Jesus Christ didn't have a problem with submission. He never felt like it was an equality issue. And let me remind you, Jesus Christ was just as powerful. He was just as authoritative as the Father himself, and yet he willingly submitted himself to the Father. It's nothing about essence or substance or equality. It is just about the order and the structure that he has spoken. And what he says is, just don't get caught up in all of this worship, and and don't become a part of the problem of contention. Don't be a part of all of this disorder and chaos that's going on. He says, let's have things a little bit ordered, he says. Because what we want to do is exalt the Savior. Let all things be done decently and in order. Everything that we do Whether we speak or we sing, whatever we do, if we give or we simply retain the word, may it be an exercise where we exalt the Savior because He is the one 
that has granted peace to each and every one of us. He is the God who is characterized by order and harmony and peace, not chaos. And may our worship reflect him and his character. Darrell Robinson, equip the saint, evangelize the sinner, exalt the Savior. Can you see how those purposes of the church that Robinson gave, it fits so well in chapter 14 of describing the purpose of each and every one of our worship services. Today, if you're a believer in Christ, would you commit yourself to edifying one another and being built up through Christ? Today, if you are lost, and even this day, as God has spoken, as God has worked, maybe today, in some miraculous way, some supernatural, powerful way, God has revealed and unveiled the hidden secrets of your heart to you and before him. Would you come, fall down on your face, and accept him as your Savior? Today, would you join us as we exalt him and his work in our lives? Let's pray. Father.